0: Welcome to the Turtle Tracks Podcast. This is your host Brian Hooker, and I'm here with Andrew Justra, the script recording coordinator for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. Andrew, thanks for being here. I really appreciate talking to you.
1: Of course, great, great to chat with you.
0: Yeah, so I have seen Mutant Mayhem. Uh, I think four times in theaters, and once did uh, once on Paramount Plus. I was a little bit upset that it was already on Paramount Plus because I wanted it to stay in theaters. So I like know in the theaters it came close so quickly. So
1: I yeah, know it, it was a quick turnaround. I uh, I think I, I think I also ended up seeing it four or five times once it came out, and um, I, I wish I had seen it a couple more. Just just seeing seeing it with a crowd is so great. But and it um,
0: looks so good in that big screen. It's just a beautiful. Yeah, movie. it really is.
1: No, it looks great, and like for the for the Dolby theaters, it really sounded great too. Oh yeah, um, totally. Which, you know, that's that's something that we spent a, a lot of time making sure the sound mix was was awesome. Um yeah.
0: You know, before getting too deep into it, uh, I would love to ask if you could explain for everybody's sake, uh, what script and recording script and recording coordinator does.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, you know, my my main responsibilities were as each new draft of the script would come in, I'd get that kind of sent out to everybody who needed it. Um go through it myself and and break it down. The way animated films are organized is basically chunked up into different sequences. So the average, you know, like 90 minute animated film probably has about 40 sequences. And each one of those is, you know, assigned a sequence number. And and when we're first getting it, um, assigning story artists to, you know, do a first pass of boarding that sequence. Um, so I, you know, basically get everybody the pages that they need, split up those sequences after the board artists would come back and do their version of it. Sometimes they would make changes to the action or the dialogue. And so I would update the script to reflect those. Um, and then from there, the boards would go to editorial, which is where our director, Jeff Rowe, and our editor, Greg Levitin, and um, me and the other production staff would sit for hours every day as they're working those sequences and a lot of changes would come out. Um, from there as well, because Jeff would get ideas for like, oh, this this line of dialogue isn't working or I think we need to change the pacing of this. And so the script is just constantly being updated from that kind of stuff. And so I'm, I'm kind of keeping this master document of what the most current version is. And then also, as we're going throughout, you know, there'll be there'll be rewrites of sequences that totally get thrown out or reworked, that kind of thing. Um, so that's one aspect of the job. The other the other is the recording part of it, which is overseeing all the recording sessions that we have with the voiceover talent. Um, so I basically get to to schedule those and, and work with their agents and managers to find a time, um, you know, to get everybody together. We we recorded the four turtles uh, ensemble for this movie, um, which was a unique challenge, but also very worthwhile just because it allowed them to build this incredible rapport and and they became friends with each other and I think that that really comes through uh in the final film so um so getting getting the four of them together at a studio that would allow us to have all these you know crazy things happening uh uh and also you know juggling that with Seth Rogen's schedule because a lot of times he'd want to be there for those specifically and um so, yeah, it was my my job to kind of wrangle all of that and arrange those sessions and then make sure once we got all those records done, get those audio files back to our edit team and then kind of do that same thing again where we're workshopping the movie, putting the lines of dialogue in there, see what fits, what doesn't fit, update the script, and just keep going through that process uh, over and over again until the movie was finished.
0: You know, it's, it's important to stress like how, like rare it is for voice actors to record together anymore like i i I interviewed a ton of voice actors yeah it's for both work and for this podcast and it is completely foreign now like it's almost never done
1: yeah it's you know there's especially with with covid and and stuff like zoom uh becoming so prevalent a lot of times you will have the actors on different parts of the country record over zoom um but it's it's just not quite the same and I know there's like a handful of shows that that still do it like I know Bob's um Berger, I know Bob's Burgers Futurama and but what's what's also different about us doing it was that ver- just to encourage naturalism and really have them go for it was constantly was like talk over each other like you know riff off of each other which is very funny but it also makes the the audio files very difficult to clean up just because each individual microphone no matter how much plexiglass you put up and that kind of stuff they're going to pick up audio from other people um you know which which just made organizing those lines a challenge and and our our dialogue editor um Fred Paragano, had to uh kind of clean up those tracks but again it was it was so worth it the very first record we did um with all the boys would have been I think June or July of 2021, and uh, that was over Zoom. They were all in separate places, and that was just kind of to test the waters and start building a rapport and that kind of stuff. But by the end of it, I can remember Seth and Jeff just being like, we got to get them together like this is, you know, we need to have this. And it was it was such a a worthwhile thing. It it obviously made a lot of work for me, but it was it was worth it to see just because once we got in that room and the four of them were together, it literally just felt like you were hanging out with the Ninja Turtles in real life, which is like, that's, that's the dream. It's, uh, it was, it was amazing. And, um, and they genuinely got to be friends. And I know they, they hung out and stuff outside of those sessions. And, um, yeah, it was super cool. And there was, there were a couple of times that we did try a like massive record where some of the other mutant characters, uh, were also present. Um, and that was, that was a little, little bit too much, but, um, but the four of them together always worked really well. We had a couple times where it was the four of them and either uh, Ice Cube or Io Edibiri, Um, And those were hilarious and a lot of fun. And um, yeah, it's it's something that I think that that everybody really appreciated that we took the the time to do and and hopefully is something we'll continue doing for the future movies as well.
0: I mean, it's so like you. When I remember when the movie was announced and early on, it was like, "Oh, we're going to really focus on the teenager part of it." You don't realize it until you see the movie how much that was taken for granted. Like, I I love every version of the turtles, even the the shitty ones. Um, (laughs) Yep, yep, me too. uh, But like, I I I, you know I can confidently say this is the first time that they really really feel like teenagers because they're cast by teen and they're cast as teenagers. Like it's you take that and I love. All the great old voice actors and things like that i've had people like rob paulson on the show and so many other people i'm huge fans of but they don't sound like kids yeah anywhere but in this movie which yeah. is fantastic
1: yeah it's it's really cool yeah and i agreed i i love love that 80s version and and 03 and 12. like I, I i like them all they're all different in different ways and uh you know i think i think you can kind of as, as a viewer, as an audience member, you can kind of accept in those versions, like, okay, they're mutants. Like they've been raised a different way. So maybe they've matured differently, that kind of thing. Um, But I, I think it's very unique and I'm glad that, that that was something that Seth and and Jeff were very much champions of since the initial concept for this movie. And, um, you know, we also knew it was something that would be a change that not, you know, I think, I think most people liked but i think there were people out there that are like oh they sound too young they look too you know they look too lanky and 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 you know it's something where it's like you know they're teenagers we don't want them to look like they're 30 year old roided out turtles we wanted them to be (laughs) you know still kind of kind of awkward and growing and you know there's there's times in the movie like you've got leo's voice cracking and and um you know donnie and and all that just uh and i i think it ended up Being very charming and and made the characters more relatable uh, on that level. And um, and it also just made it funnier,
0: too. So, oh, yeah. And you feel the camaraderie, like you feel them. Like, I don't know. I I don't know how much was improv or not. And I feel like sometimes that's overemphasized, but like it felt. Real and loose in the way they interacted with each other, which is really cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, they gave they gave them a ton of flexibility to to improvise, like obviously the. The structure, our our writers and and also Jeff and Seth and Evan um, really laid the foundation and came up with a lot of great lines themselves. But there were things that um, that the kids really contributed to in terms of Jeff would often ask them like, oh, what is what is an anime that you watch or what's what's your favorite sport or things to kind of make it more personal to the actor to put that into the character a little bit, but not strain from what. Each one of their archetypes should be, um, and things like I, I've I've talked about this a bunch, but like the whole bacon, egg, and cheese uh, rant that they did was something that was entirely unplanned. That was not in the script at any point. Yeah, um, basically. We were doing an ensemble record one day and it wasn't even part of the scene. They were just on mics and started riffing doing that bit that's originated from those TikTok videos and just kind of kept going. And we were all just laughing, like, you know, 30 and 40 year olds, like, what what is this? What are they doing? And um it was like okay we've got to find a way to put this into the movie. so they they found it's like okay after after the montage where they're outside let's let's have them kind of riffing like this and april just totally roasting them for doing it and um yeah that never never would have existed if they hadn't hadn't thought of it so but there were there were quite a few moments like that um and yeah it was it was everybody's funny as anything that uh, we could have come up with so
0: the recording sessions for like uh Ice Cube and all the villains and all that you ever saw those as well
1: I did yeah yeah which was it. i mean what a amazing cast of people oh, well. um uh Ice Cube the first time we recorded him was with the boys um together and it was you know i re- i remember the day that they they pitched the role to him um <laughs> Jeff Jeff like on teams or something messaging me, just like he's in. And I ran into his office playing. It's a good day on my phone, um, but everybody was stoked because we're all fans. And and he just was the nicest guy and came in with so many ideas. The whole noises that he added onto his lines and and sort of fly based humor. Those were his ideas um, and uh, and it was hilarious. And he was also had a great rapport with the kids, too. Um, you know between takes and stuff you would be hanging out with them and giving them pointers and um that was that was super fun and then most of the other ones like i'm trying to remember i i know maya rudolph we recorded locally and she was always great um but a handful of them were remote records i know paul rudd was in new york city natasha dimitriou was in um london and then obviously the the biggest challenge was jackie chan uh who was in china and so oh, wow. Yeah, so all and I think we only got a handful of sessions with him just because he's he's a legend and a busy guy. So uh each one of those sessions we had to get as much as humanly possible with him. And because of the time change, we were often doing it like, you know, either 11 o'clock at night or five o'clock in the morning. Like there were these super early sessions over Zoom. Um, but again, he was he was great and and generous with his time and would do, you know, a million takes and uh and I I loved how that turned out too, just because you know we weren't we weren't sure it was it was going to be like a different a different take for Splinter, and he just added this warmth and and fatherly vibe to it that um, that I think we all you know were really blown away by. So um, yeah, that was awesome.
0: So like lovable in that movie, <laughs> yeah. Like I really think it was super smart to lean into being him more of like. Just a dad. Like I don't. I don't know if the name Splinter ever is said in the movie.
1: Oh man, I I, 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 sh- I should know that, but um,
0: I, I just think it's great that like he feels like a dad, which I feel yeah. like sometimes he doesn't always, you know.
1: For sure, like uh, you know, it. it uh, for example, the I I love the 2012 series, but he's very much he is a father figure, but he's also got this there's a little bit of coldness because he is their master and they refer to him as master splinter. And I think there were some early drafts of the script that, that they called him master sensei and that kind of thing. And, um, again, just leaning in the teenage part of it, it's like their kids, they've been raised by this guy for 15 years. He's the only parent they've ever known. He's their dad. So, um, so I think every time they refer to the only time they refer to him, they actually okay. There is one time they say it in the beginning when Leo's reading from the scroll of the grocery list. He says, "Master Splinter has given us a very important mission tonight." Oh um,
0: no, shit! Okay, cool. I, yeah, I, I never thought that, but you're, oh wow, interesting. Cool.
1: Yeah, so the, so that's kind of you know in that part leaning into the the ridiculousness of the their thing. Yeah, exactly. Of that. Um, but that yeah. Any other time, it's it's dead. So oh
0: no shit! That's so funny. I didn't realize that. Yep. Um and like Superfly like I I think like outside of the four boys like I think I think Superfly has got to be the smartest casting choice in the whole movie and there's a ton of great people <laughs> but like I think like yeah. he doesn't sound like Shredder he doesn't sound like a typical fill in the blank Marvel villain and I love those kinds of movies but like sure it sure gave the whole movie a different feel because like, you really like Superfly like you yeah. love his friend and like, and then the fact that he turns that dime, like he, like I feel like he gives the movie a whole different energy to it that wouldn't be there otherwise.
1: Yeah, absolutely. He, um, and that's something that took a while to find as well. You know, early early versions of the script, um, you know, backs at, at different times, Baxter Stockman as a human was the villain for yep. for the majority of the movie, and and has his classic transformation, I think, in the third act into the fly character and we tried that and it wasn't working. And, um, you know, they knew it was going to be a departure of of the canon in terms of these are two separate characters now. Um, So I think everybody was kind of like, oh, is this going to work or not? And uh, I personally, I, I loved it and I thought it was awesome. And and he ended up becoming, you know, now one of my favorite TMNT villains that there's there's ever been, because like you said, he's he has this super cool entrance and everybody's just like this guy's awesome and um and yeah it it uh it, ice cube just brought so much like obviously comedy to the character but then when he does have that turn and show that his um ideologies are so far from splinter and the turtles he he can get scary and um i think that's why he works so well and uh um yeah i i i really love what what how he turned out. It was great,
0: and yet they drew such a smart parallel between him and Splinter, which I thought was brilliant,
1: yeah. i I love what what they ended up doing with that just because that kind of evolved over the course of the movie showing his background in raising the baby mutants while Splinter is raising the turtles and and how they kind of just went in different directions of like one, like taking care of your kids and being a protective father versus. Becoming hateful and and spiteful towards all of humanity. Um, so it, it kind of shows how even with very similar circumstances, uh, you know, kind of how they were nurturing their kids is is how it ended up being different. And it, I I loved. I know it was it was a a big swing, but I I really liked the fact that you know the mutants uh, ended up. Uh, joining the Turtles and and deciding that that just because they were raised that way doesn't mean it was necessarily the right thing for them to do. Um,
0: oh, I love that. I think that was yeah. such a great way to end it. I mean, I, I've always been of the belief that Bebop from Rock City notably aren't all bad.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah.
0: F&M kind of like they just had bad jobs, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> the end was great. Like a number of those characters were he- villains that would become heroes in the comics anyway. So it works for All of them like it really and the fact that I mean, like, it's such a little thing, but like Superfly being a fly, it makes sense that he would be this sort of match for them physically because flies are crazy strong or whatever. So it all, yeah, it all just works really well.
1: No, I uh, yeah, it was it was very cool. I I love the choices that they made. And um, yeah, I I think it's, you know, it's it's unique. It's each each version of the Turtles has its own spin and you know some people gravitate towards some and and dislike the others and i think that it just shows that that's why the franchise as a whole has endured for so long because you can do it in very different ways and it still works as long as you have that core concepts and themes of family and and brotherly camaraderie and um and obviously being being cool ninjas so
0: um, you know, rewinding quite a bit, uh, cause I wanted to ask you more about the script side of things, but before, yeah. you, um, what was your experience with Turtles prior to the movie? Were you a fan growing up or anything like that? Like what was your,
1: oh yeah, yeah, I, I've, I've been a fan pretty much my whole life. Uh, you know, there's, there's been different times where I've been more into it than others, but my introduction, you know, I was, i was born 89 so i caught the tail end of the first wave of of turtle mania in terms of the the 80s show which i loved and i had a handful of toys from and then when the 03 show came out i was there the first saturday morning watching it on uh the fox box and uh loved loved that and and stayed up to date with that and then um you know it as as time went on yeah it saw Saw the the 07 movie and I love the 2012 series. My uh buddy JJ worked on that, and I I got a chance to meet a handful of the crew and um was I, I thought that was a really great show because I it kind of took the nostalgia that you have for the 87 series, but might not quite hold up story wise today, and gave it the writing of a modern series, which I really appreciated and and that brought back all cool. those. It was <laughs> great. Um
0: ever was zero and um. Like I didn't like my favorite show is the '87 show. That's the one I grew up with. But like, yeah, objectively yeah. speaking, I think that that 2012 series is the best turtle series.
1: Yeah, it's so it's fantastic. I love it. And um, you know, throughout uh, it, it's different points of time, I found the Mirage comics and read that whole original run, and and read a lot of the IDW stuff, and more recently, last drone in, which I love. Um, okay. but yeah, it's it's something that I've that I've always been a fan of and always kind of dreamed that like, oh, it'd be really cool to be a part of that. But I, I didn't think it would happen. Like um, even even when I got the interview for this job, I pretty much had to convince myself like not to think about it until I actually got an offer just because I would have gotten my hopes up too much. And um, I, I ended up interviewing for it. I think it was it was like October, November of 2020. So it was like at the height of the pandemic, and I had been stuck inside for months. And uh, it was it was something that was a, a much needed victory for me at the time. So I was super excited um, and I'm trying to think what else. I mean, yeah, and, and I've just been uh, a huge fan of of Eastman and Laird's just forever. Just because you have this, you know, dreamlike scenario where these two guys come up with this idea that that revolutionizes comic books and animation and and endures for so long and um I started going to to San Diego Comic-Con I think back in 2000 2008 was my first year and first or second year I was there uh I I met Eastman for the first time and he was just so humble and such a nice guy and said very encouraging nice things to me and that stuck with me and um you know that was that was something that that came full circle in this movie in terms of bringing him into the fold like later in the movie and having him oh, right have a cameo and and all that. that that was a blast and and he came in and was just so gracious and humble and um you know talked to tactile artists and the crew while he was there and uh and seemed to genuinely dig what we were doing which which was important to me just because it's like you know it's it, This without, without him, I wouldn't have had a job. None of us would have had this, this job to work on in terms of the movie and this world that we got to play in. So, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty amazing, but yeah, it's, I, I love the franchise. I, I love that I've been able to, to be a small part of it and that this, this version of the turtles will hopefully continue for a while and people will find it and, uh, it'll be, it'll be a solid part of the the turtle history
0: you know, when you were hired, where was, so that was, so you were on the movie for a couple of years then, right?
1: About, about two and a half years. Yeah.
0: Well, where was the movie when you were hired? Where was the movie at? Like, what was the development stage?
1: Yeah. So they, they had been working, I think about six months when I was brought on. So like, you know, visual development artists and and some of the story team were on at that point developing the look and feel of the movie. And I think I was brought on right after the first first complete draft of the script was done, Um, which that draft was written by Brendan O'Brien, who wrote like the Neighbors movies and very funny. But it was a very different version of the movie compared to what it ended up becoming. Um, So, yeah, when I came on that first first version of the script had come in, our edit team had just gotten hired, uh, story artists had just been hired, um, and so it was—it was, it was kind of like, okay, we got all these pieces in place. Now it's time to make this first version and and put it up in boards and get a first screening done just to see what we're looking at. So um, that and and those those first probably the first six months we didn't have any production records because we were still they were still casting the turtles. They're they're casting everybody at that point still. So we would do rough draft versions with scratch audio, which was mainly Jeff Rowe, uh, doing all the voices himself and, uh, and putting that up to storyboards and then, and then us watching that and reviews and stuff like that. So, um, and then, yeah, once, once the summer came around, they had all the boys casted and then, you know, it took probably another year to get, um, the other big characters cast um and then even you know probably the last my last four or five months there was filling in all of the other additional roles in terms of newscasters and cops and um you know the citizens that are helping them out at the end stuff like that and uh those all came together pretty close to the end of the movie um yeah
0: the um That first version of the script. uh, Can you talk at all about what that looked like? Uh,
1: mm, You can't. I don't I don't know what I can talk about from that version there. There's
0: I know there's uh, talk about early on. There was the school thing was like a big part of it early on.
1: Yeah, that I can talk about. Um, They yeah. and, And and those early versions by the top of act two uh they were going into high school and there was a big scene where they moved merge from the sewer and and just kind of say like we'd like you know entrance to the school please and huge media frenzy where they're doing government tests on them and they're they're asking
0: about this yes yes yes
1: yeah which was was hilarious hilarious scene it was really great but the the big problem that kept coming up was like the thing they want more than anything is to get to be among humans and be accepted and it's like ah oh, it's it's just not satisfying that they get it 15 minutes into the movie they get the thing that they want um and so it's like okay why don't we save that and have that be the very end and i think you know it went back and forth as to whether or not they were to get to go or or have them go um but yeah in that in that version they they went to high school they had you know their separate cliques and things that they were finding um you know Baxter was was still human for quite some time and uh there was still a version of that the super duper fly at the very end was a separate character it it was just the Mega Mutant. yeah that um that that basically was its own creation and so when Superfly emerged story-wise is what was going to be the the true villain, it's like, oh, we should just have a, a supersized version of him for our, the ultimate battle at the end. So, um, but yeah, there was, there's all kinds of crazy stuff and you know, it, uh, obviously there's some really great sequences and, and beats that hopefully some of them make their way into a future movie or, or show, um, cause there's some really great stuff that came out of that, but it just wasn't stuff that worked for this version of the story.
0: Sure. You know, so interesting. It was smart. It was so smart to like delay that because that's like, in some ways, this movie is you know departs from the source material, but like it's still pretty traditional, and like, yeah, is it, I feel like it would almost be like too much too fast. Whereas like the movie you guys have set up for next time is a totally different status quo for the turtles than ever ever before. Yeah, and I'm excited about that because it's really like paying them you guys into a corner, where it was like. No, we can't go back to what the turtles were and in the shadows and shit. And look, I love that stuff, but we've seen it. Right. So right, like, right. Like, so the movie that's set up is promises to be a totally different movie, which I think is really interesting. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I can honestly say other other than uh, having to face Shredder, I, I don't know what direction it's going to go in. I'm I'm excited to see it as well. Um but I, I think it will be a a fresh change and it'll be different. And it kind of makes me think of can't remember. I think it was in the uh, Turtles Forever movie. But when the three turtles are visiting the 87 Turtles universe, there's kind of a joke about how they're just like walking around out in the daylight and how weird that is to the three guys because it's like, oh, you guys aren't worried about this. And um so I think it'll be I think it'll be something fun to play with just in terms of, you know, we we got a glimpse of them going to school and making friends and and wearing their street clothes and stuff. But um, yeah, what's what's it mean in terms of if they have to fight Shredder, are they are they becoming, you know, they they can't be costume vigilantes, people are just going to know who they are. So how's that going to work? Um, so we'll just we'll just have to see. But it, it's exciting.
0: I think somebody told me. I forget who it was. One of the visual development artists that I interviewed was that Shredder was in it a little bit more in a previous draft as this yeah. sort of Long Island sword guy. That was the description <laughs> I think was given to me. <laughs>
1: there were there were a couple of of versions of a Shredder uh, movie early on that were uh, there. One in particular that was I think would have would have. Uh, Probably turned turned the entire turtle fandom against us. Uh, <laughs> most likely, I you know you never know, but um, I think I think the way the the, the changes that they ended up making were for the better. So
0: yeah, and it's like I mean some, I mean people get bent out of shape about everything, it's the hardcore fandom. But I think like yeah, of course, um. I don't know, like I think all the changes really smart and considerate. Like, okay, Hamato Yoshi's not a character in this version, but like, I don't know, Splinter feel like Splinter still is their father. He still kicks ass in that one scene. Like, he's still like I, I think that the, the changes that were made were all sort of to streamline their story. And it all yeah. like if you were to tell me that they that the like they learned ninjutsu from VHS tapes, there might have been a part of my brain that goes, uh oh. But it's like it all works. Like it really feels like when you watch the whole movie and realize like how that, like how this all blends together, it really, really works. Um, Was there more of the kind of like crazy lore at any point? I don't know if you can share that. If not,
1: again. Yeah, I, 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 no, no, yeah, for sure. Uh, No, there, there was a point where, um, uh, during that flashback sequence where where splinter has the baby turtles and he goes out to Times square and that kind of stuff. Uh, and they get attacked. Um, there was a version of that where, where the, and this was, uh, one of my ideas that got cut, but it, it was cool because we boarded it just to see what might happen. Um, it was like, how could we work Hamato Yoshi into the story in any way? And so, um, in this version, uh, when they're attacked in Times square Splinter's foot ends up getting cut and he and the the turtles kind of hobble away and and hide and they're in a a back alley and um Hamato Yoshi walks by and sees them and offers to help and he's not scared or revolted by them and he brings them back to his dojo that he has and and wraps up Splinter's foot and and basically says that if they ever need anything he's there and uh, in that version, he's the one who who taught Splinter, who then in turn taught the boys martial arts. Um, and I believe at some point, uh, he, he Yoshi is killed, and he's he's their only human friend, which is what makes Splinter even more, you know, protective of the boys, and and does not emerge from the sewer at all after that. Um, which was an interesting take, but again, it was something we put up in boards, and it was just it took too much time, and it didn't it wasn't really necessary. Um, So, you know, we got rid of that. But it was it was something we explored. Um, Trying to think what else and yeah, I, I, the other part of the reasoning for this was they wanted the logic to be that in this version, um, it's it's animals are, you know, come in contact with ooze, and that's what mutates them. And having having a human character like Hamato Yoshi exposed to ooze and then turning into an animal like creature, it kind of just muddled it a little bit. They wanted it to just be very simple logic of like animal ooze equals mutant. Um, and that's obviously that's something that, that could change going forward, but it kind of just made it like a, a cleaner way of explaining that little bit of science. So.
0: The uh, I mean, yeah, the rules of mutagen shift.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. All the time
0: from version to version. <laughs> yeah, <so. laughs>
1: it's a tough it's a tough thing to, uh, you know, it's 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 one of those things that you just suspend your reality for. And um, is a, a fun way to have lots of different crazy looking things in the movie. So
0: is there any other cutting room uh, floor kinds of things you can talk about as in regards to the four turtles like? themes or scenes or ideas that, that almost made their way in.
1: Yeah. Um, trying to think of, of things that are, are safe topics. Um, oh boy. Uh, there was a, uh, obviously that, that montage scene, you know, where they're, they're getting ready for school was big. Um, There were some scenes where they were in school where donnie more stuff about like donnie being part of an anime club and he had his own anime zine that he was uh having people work on and then leo being um part of the newspaper with with april which you kind of see a little bit in the post credit scene which is cool um getting to meet some of the other people that are that are part of the newspaper and the two of them um you know bonding over that and uh and, and investigating, um, super Um, yeah. Trying to think of anything else that there was, there were some cool fight scenes that just got reworked. Um, the, the montage, I think around that time at one point was this big construction yard fight that was just a really cool set piece. Um, and, and a lot of similar things happened there too, or like, april filming them on her phone uh, uh that ended up getting you know reused in our movie and in, in different parts and um i think you know them just getting beat up a little bit more for sure uh but you know just emphasizing that this this entire movie was it's their it's their first outing doing this uh crime fighting business so they're not great at it um but uh they get better at it as they go
0: that scene of the chop shop does that really well where it's like yeah, they win, but it's large, in large part to some happy accidents and stuff like, they you know, they're doing a little bit, but <laughs> not well, so.
1: yeah, yeah, which is fun. And I think I think it also gives us more room for growth in future movies and the series and all that stuff, because if we just started off with them being incredible ninja superheroes, there's not as much room to grow. So yeah, um, which, you know, other other versions, it starts off and they're already really good and and it can work, but um you know I think for us it it allows it to be like okay the next threat is even bigger. Obviously Shredder is is going to be even meaner and and stronger than Superfly and then what comes beyond that is going to be even worse. So um you know it'll be it'll be easy to see them grow obviously emotionally and see what happens in terms of them finding different groups and cliques in high school and how that changes the dynamic between the four of them. And then also how it also affects them in their, in their little superhero unit. Um,
0: Yeah. There's so many smart choices in this movie. Like, I think like the fact that Leonardo has a crush on April, it like makes the whole movie work without that. Leo never would have bought into the plan. The whole thing falls apart. Like it, 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 it seems like a small thing but it's it's just like a trait of the one character but it really made like leonardo the character that was created wouldn't have bought in if not right
1: yeah yeah because he's so he's so by the book he's uh um and you know having having this emotional pull for him is is really what gets him on board with it totally um and yeah again that's something that's you know Uh, so many versions, you know, the old versions, they're they're all kind of have a thing for April or 2012. Donnie, you know, it's it's. And obviously the the thinking about the whole human mutant aspect of it, it's not something we want to think too much about just because it starts to get weird. (laughs) But but really just thinking about him is just a a weird looking teenager uh, who's who's socially awkward um, and finding, you know, having having his first crush. is is makes him super relatable and endearing and um and yeah it 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 shows why he's he's going along with all of this
0: I think it's so cool that that like more than any other turtle that this is a little bit more Leo's movie like I feel like that's not been done before and it, like he's I mean I, I hate to say it my favorite Sonatello. so but like yeah. Leonardo's probably the easiest one to to be boring, right like, yeah and this movie. You know spends maybe 10% more time on him and all the better for it. It's so it's so smart.
1: Yeah. I uh Nicholas Cantu who voices him is is brought a ton to the character and and was so funny. And uh um you know, obviously he's he's written as he, he wants to be the leader, he takes himself very seriously, um, and they all kind of rib him for that. Yeah. Um, but but he never gets he never gets cynical about it. He never, you know, lets it get him too down. He's always, he's always trying to keep them together, and um, he's he's just a good dude.
0: Is there any stuff with uh, the mutant, the bad guys, and Superfly and anything that cutting room floor stuff that come to mind? I know the um, guy who was like Superfly's little punk in the bowling alley. Oh. um there's a human being who like serve them drinks and stuff.
1: Yes, there was there was a scene that was boarded where basically it was kind of implied that they were just like had this guy that worked there hostage to work for them, <laughs> sure. which was you know that that was pretty funny and um there were you know uh, we narrowed it down to the mutants you see in the movie. But, you know, the idea was just like we want a ton of them. You know, it's called Mutant Mayhem, which which didn't come until later Uh that title. But like from early on, it was always like, let's design a billion of these guys and try to put as many of them in the movie as makes sense. And um, so there's there's designs and you see some of them. But, um, you scale know, like tail, when Cynthia
0: right? like there was some talk about scale tail at some point
1: scale tail, which you see for a second when Cynthia has yeah. her little or th- she shows that she shows like an eagle, that guy that kind of looks like Ace Duck, but I think he's supposed to be a different character. Um, um, you know, there's a dolphin one, but yeah, the the you know the entire toy line from the '80s, and I I know you talked to Kellen Jet about this. Basically, was such a huge influence for the movie. We you know we went to Varner and and looked at all the old toy designs and stuff, and um, you know I think I think for everybody, especially people in the show that grew up with that it just invoked so much imagination, just seeing like all the little details that they put on those figures and kind of the jokes that were written, you know, in terms of Mondo Gecko, having, you know, the little skate on, wheel ah. on his tail and, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, Baxter Fly's feet coming out of his shoes and stuff like that. It all just added depth and, and story. And you're like, how did, how did those things come to be? So we wanted to put in as many as possible and, uh, and whittled it down to these guys um and their their personalities evolved throughout the course of the movie too like wingnut um became this very lovable funny uh kind of dorky character and originally she didn't really talk much and i think she was used almost for like jump scares like there was a scene where april was sneaking into tcri to, to reunite with the boys and um wingnut discovers her and it was like a legitimate de- jump scare um and uh ray fillet for a long time literally only said ray fillet but then eventually we we allowed him to speak more um but uh you know all we kind of had to play with finding each one of those and and making them their own uh and you know each one's different um hannibal Barres for Genghis frog Genghis like you know only has like three or four lines in the movie but we played with all kinds of different um you know versions of him and and he came up with this just very funny sarcastic like you know don't cross me frog which ended up being really funny just because the design is so cute And um
0: yeah well do you know what uh like why they settled on the mutants they did was it just trying to find a diverse array of
1: yeah yeah i mean i think i think those ended up being the the designs that they liked the most, and and when they were writing the characters, it's like okay, these kind of balance each other in a good way, and they're all different enough. Um, and yeah, I think I think it just kind of naturally got whittled down to that.
0: Was Screw Loose ever in there with, with Wingnut?
1: Screwless was not in there, which is funny because I know they always kind of go together. Um, but uh, yeah, it was it was always just Wingnut uh, for this one.
0: Sure, I figured another bug would probably take away from
1: right. Um, yeah, yeah. Yep.
0: I think it's also really smart. I, I don't know if it was ever this is always the case, but a few of them were changed into female characters, which I think is smart because they're all of what three characters in this whole franchise that are female. So I mean it was very smart. Yeah. Some female characters.
1: Yeah. And I think that I think the the ones that we, you know, ended up doing that for but was there there was nothing inherently about those characters that was one gender or another and um you know i i you know i know leatherhead has had a lot of different versions of leatherhead where like the old 87 one it was kind of a a swamp bumpkin um and then you know more recently 2012 and idw made him more of this badass character And i know people a lot of people i i love that version too but yeah for this one it was like let's just kind of bring back some of the the comedy of that 87 version. But with with an Australian twist Um, and then wingnut, I think I think a lot of that probably came out of once they cast they they really like Natasha because she's so funny. And um, it's like, let's just let's just build that around, you know, her. And, uh, um, you know, she improvised a few lines in terms of like when she's when she's helping out during the final battle and stuff. And it's like, oh, she's kind of just this like Endearing character that that wants to help out the team and and be useful. So um, uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, and and the others, yeah, was was you know I, uh, Ray <laughs> Ray Fillet. Like I think I think there was a a version where you know he screamed out his name and kind of ran in to attack the turtles, sort of like a Leroy Jenkins type of thing, and then that evolved into like. What if he sang his name and then they ended up reaching out to Post Malone? And it's like, well, now that we have Post Malone, we have to make him sing. Sure. Um and uh I don't know at what point the the 491s uh what's up song came in there, but like after they put it into the um the chase sequence, originally they had, you know, the original version of the song, which was difficult to get the rights to. And I remember the president of Nickelodeon ended up had to like directly call Linda Perry and, and ask oh, wow. her, please, please, because we wanted it so badly. And luckily she agreed. And then one night I remember we we're an editorial and Seth texted Jeff and was like, this is a insane idea. I don't know if it came from him or Evan Goldberg, but he's like, what if during the chase scene, the version of the song you use is that crazy He-Man YouTube version of that song? Um, and we're like, this is nuts, but let's try it. So an editorial, we we did it that night and we were all just dying because uh, it was so funny and sent like a rough version to him the same night and was like, we got to do it. Um, and I know they had to jump through some hoops to get the rights to that version in addition to the original version. But um, I thought it was funny. And then uh, um, I'm trying to think what else. Uh, yeah. But I don't even know of where I was going with of those, that.
0: Those of those bad guy mutants personally, like, is there anybody who stands out to you as I love this one the most? Oh god,
1: uh they're all great. I I love Mondo and Paul Rudd's version also, of it. I mean, he's
0: so good and meaningful, and like yeah the part where he chucks down the crowbar pipe, whatever it is, like it's genuinely like meaningful. It's a great moment. Yeah. yeah. No, he's
1: because he's you know, you know, like this character does not like conflict. He doesn't want to be fighting with his family. He doesn't want to fight Superfly, that's for sure. But like the turtles have won him over and shown him in different ways. So yeah, I I love that moment. And um
0: him and Robbie Rose are the best.
1: Uh, yeah. <laughs> but
0: that Robbie wrist Mondo. Good lord.
1: Yeah. Oh so good.
0: Yeah.
1: Um but yeah he, he was great and and I just I love cube superfly. He was so good. So you
0: know um the last thing I wanted to ask you about is because that's that I ask of everybody is um, who's your favorite turtle and, uh, and why?
1: Oh man. Um, I, I always have to put caveats on that because like for, for our version of the movie specifically, I can't choose like they're okay. They're my, they're my boys. I love all of them. Um, prior to this movie, I would have said Rob Paulson's wrath from 87, just because really? okay. I, I love, I, lo- I love that version just because he's like, he's he's sarcastic and cool. He's not quite, he doesn't quite have that rage version of him that isn't really developed more until other, you know, I know in the Mirage version he was for sure, but I feel like that was like a nice balance of him being hot-headed, but also just kind of making these quips that were very funny. Um,
0: So I I look yeah. I don't know if it's my favorite Raph, but when I go back, like I I still love the, I genuinely love the 87 show and I stand by it because I feel like and I don't think it's just nostalgia. Yeah, like, the show, even though the stories are like whatever, you know, they're yeah, really, yeah, a lot of them are the same. But like the joke writing on that show is razor, sh- like, really funny, and most yeah. of the best jokes go to Raphael and Krang, probably. Yeah, like <laughs> yep. really just sharp, funny, fourth wall breaking stuff. So like that, I, I that Raphael is so entertaining, especially as you get older. It's yeah. it's just. I mean, Rob Paulson's great, but it, it's awesome. yeah.
1: No, he's he's awesome at everything. And I love his his Donnie from, from 2012 yeah. too. Yeah. Uh but um yeah, uh all like all four of our guys, it's I I can't pick just because it's it's each one of them uh brought something, you know, unique and bought part of themselves to their character. Like they're they're just cast so well. Like I um you know, Nicholas Nicholas is this, you know, funny kid and and he does he always he always came prepared for his lines and everything same with you know mike abby who's obviously supposed to be like the smart one and like again we put pieces of him into it like jojo's bizarre adventure was his favorite anime show and um and then brady is just this very funny like doesn't take any shit kind of guy and uh so he's perfect for raf and then Shimon is just like this amazing chill just wants to make everybody happy type of character so um, no, I, I think they're, they're fantastic. And the four of them are my favorite version, for sure.
0: Oh, uh I'm all set here, man. Thanks so much for your time. This is really fun. I appreciate talking to you.
1: Oh, of course. No, it was a blast. Thanks so much.
0: All right, cool. Take care. Thanks. All right. See you, dude. Bye. And so I